Ryan Olke. How you doing, buddy? Hey, man. I'm doing great. A little chilly today out here in Asheville, North Carolina, but is it? It's 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 actually thawing out a little bit here in Colorado. Oh yeah, now we we just got hit with our first super cold day out here. Cold mm. for us. It's not Colorado cold, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we are going to be talking about a very sort of tender topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about, what's the name of our episode today? Inhabit Your Wound. Yes. And um, man, such an important conversation, I think, um, for, you know, numerous reasons. I mean, first off, you know, I, I, my experience, I've been here in Integral Land for 15 or 16 years or so. And there's something in my experience that tells me that integral because it is such a powerful sort of representation of wholeness for a lot of people mm. it tends to attract a lot of brokenness mm. um i you know i i include myself i mean that's what brought me here was i had yeah. certain you know a, a number of of wounds and and sort of the integral approach seemed to me to be almost a sort of panacea um to help me sort of better manage those wounds Totally. Um, you know, and I, 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 I kind of think that's, that's sort of what this is all about in a certain sense. You know, our traumas mm. can either be a paralytic, which, you know, really I think prevents us from moving forward in, in our lives, mm -hmm. um, or it can become a source of rocket fuel for us, which pushes us further than, you know, we ever thought we could possibly go. Yeah. And, you know, I think in a certain way, it all comes down to how we choose to relate to and how we are able to manage our various traumas and wounds and how much really, how much sort of embodied awareness we can bring to them. And yeah. for me, this is, you know, I, I, um, I love having this conversation. I mean, I, I, I have my own sort of personal museum of traumas that I've, <laughs> I've collected over my life. I mean, I've yeah. got some, you know, childhood sexual abuse over there and I've got my intimacy mm. issues over there by the door and, you know, here's my mm. abandonment issues. And yeah. this is a burlap sack with all my repressed memories from the sort yeah. of middle school trauma factory. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, and there in the middle of the room is this great big inside out exploded heart that was sort of my souvenir from my daughter's liver transplant. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've, I've got yeah. some juice for yeah. this conversation. And, um, you know, but really the point here, Ryan, I think is that um, we, we've all got our traumas. We, yes. you know, th those are some of mine, but they do yep. not make me special. They do not make me unique. Um, you know, no one here gets out alive. No one here gets out unscathed. Yeah. And, um, you know, what you do have, however, I think is a, unique constellation of wounds and traumas and injuries, um, which is enacted by your own unique cosmic address and which can lead you to really your own sort of unique wisdom, hmm. um, which I hmm. think is something that, you know, hopefully we're here to help people uncover today. Yeah. Um, you know, I really think ultimately, um, and this is what I'm hoping we can unpack in this episode, I think there's ultimately really only two truths to our lives that are like always true. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like mm. only two comments you can say that no matter what else is happening, mm. are always true. And those are life is suffering mm. and this too shall pass. Mm. As far as I can tell, these are the only two mm. true sentences, mm. hundred percent true sentences that have ever been really mm. uttered. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think the problem really comes when uh, we get stuck in our traumas, when we sort of lose traction and begin spinning our wheels and 
um, you know, when we're doing that, we're, we're not allowing things to pass. We're holding mm-hmm. on to something. We're not mm-hmm. allowing ourselves to become sort of these genuine wounded healers. Um, instead, we're just sort of, you know, bleeding hemophiliacs <laughs> who, right. you know, we can't, we can't speak about our wounds with any clarity. We can only speak from our wounds, which makes us, you know, very sort of re- reactive and oftentimes mm-hmm. defensive and, um, can even bring sort of a sense of entitlement. You know, mm-hmm. you don't know what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, and I do, again, I think that there's a, a wisdom that's waiting for us sort of underneath yeah. all of those scars and scabs and, um, you know, and that wisdom can take a, a thousand different forms. I mean, it can look like, uh, empathy. It can look like an increase in compassion. It can look like service, resilience, tenderness, impermanence, uncertainty. I mean, all of these things come to the surface when we're willing to bring that sort of embodied awareness to um, yeah. our wounds. So that's what we want yep. to talk about today, right? I mean, yeah. or we can just spend the next hour sort of bleeding all over each other. <laughs> yeah, we could. Sure. Yeah. And you know, uh, thanks, Corey. That was a wonderful intro to this episode. And uh you know, also a few things that I wrote down here. Uh, one is because integral is what it is and, and we've all been drawn to integral out of, I think there's a lot of passion, right? There's a lot of passion and purpose and meaning to impact the world. And so we might also talk about wounds and, and healing relative to our abilities to show up, right? And to respond to the world. And part of the journey of healing wounds and, and becoming familiar with our own experience is just simple peace and joy in life, in relationships. So I just want to, I always kind of like, I think circled that around back around in our episodes to remind people that there's a lot of things we're talking about also has something very basic and simple. It's just like when we wake up and we're just hanging out wherever we're at or we're connected in friendship or partnership that um, exploring our wounds and uh, healing them, transforming them can uh, reveal and allow us to experience more peace and joy. So Mm. in addition to like making us more effective in the bigger things we're trying to do in the world, for example, responding to crises or or bringing out um, creative new projects, things like that. Mm -hmm. You brought up another good point about what might happen in a way to avoid maybe uh, the direct healing that needs to happen. Oh, let me back up along with this simple, uh, simple idea of coming back to peace and joy and ease. I just want to encourage listeners to try to stay in touch with their bodies, their own experience throughout this, which can be as simple as just breathing, you know, trying to get in touch with your internal space of your body that way you you stay a little tethered to your experience and rather than merely an abstraction of it, which is actually what happens a lot relative to our wounds. We, we sort of abstract or find interesting ways to compartmentalize mm-hmm. that partly as a intelligent response. But anyways, just try to find a way back. Um, it's a natural so, defense mechanism and one yes. that we have to. You know, exactly. With. Exactly. So with integral, you, you mentioned it being um, presenting, a sense of wholeness, uh, also maybe a way to just make sense out of things, right? In a world that seems 
difficult and frightening and chaotic. Yeah, I think if you have a vision where, you know, the vision itself is saying, this is how to put all the pieces yeah, yeah. together. It's, and, it's comforting. And, and you say, well, Jesus, I, I, I have all these broken pieces. Yes. Um, help me put myself back together. Absolutely. And, and really, in a lot of genuine ways, that's actually what is being offered through mm-hmm. Interval. Um, uh, but of course, in our own strategy, we can use that to miss an opportunity or avoid the ability to work actually directly, tangibly get dirty with our own work. But a, a place that's even more obvious with that is in spiritual practice, uh, contemplative uh, waking up practices. So, and I think it's good to to highlight this. I'm glad you highlighted this in the beginning because we have to talk about ways in which we might get lost or I don't even want to use too harsh of a word, you know, to like say, ah, we're avoiding it, you know, like they're like, we're sort of evil uh, villains against ourselves. Like, yeah, I'm going to avoid working with all my wounds. It's just natural. Like it's, it's something we do. It's very, it's how we cope. It's how we, we, yeah, it's tender. So that's, this is one of the ways that we might avoid that. And so if we can kind of highlight that, if we can find a way to relax that response, to let it be seen that and compassionately seen we can relax it and be more open to explore further. But if we don't do that, we can sort of keep skirting around the outsides. So in spiritual practice, the promise of waking up beyond our uh, relative always changing existence is very enticing. And it's also very real in a, in a certain way, right? We can deeply experience something that is unconditioned, that is, um, inherently whole you know for example we've talked and done some of these meditations in an, in this show where we attune to the internal space of our bodies and we can get a direct palpable sense of some quality that permeates us in reality that is just always how it is before anything else this space is just how it is and that provides some breathing room some space to let go yeah and you, on that foundation, you can actually do healing. So it doesn't have to, you don't have to split these experiences where it's waking up over here and the rest of life over here, but that's what often happens. So what we can do is we can find this internal space. We can find this experience beyond form. And then we just try to replicate that. And we try to keep going for that, which, you know, in a certain sense, okay, there's not suffering as we typically know it in that space, but we inevitably are rubber banded back to being alive in this body in which there is suffering, as you said, right. it's a truth. And it's one of the first noble truth of uh, Buddhism, you know, that life has suffering. So, and I like this because the spirituality and integral now integral includes this waking up, you know, but it has a lot of other things there. So we can look at these two things and get attracted to them as a way to sort of get closer to all of the suffering, all the wounds we have, but then also ironically as really intelligent ways to dance around it, to avoid it. You know, so I wanted to just highlight that. And uh, well, can I can I comment yeah. on that real briefly? Yeah. Um, I I think that's a really important point when you're talking about sort of you know, Ken often talks about we have these four sort of main ways of enacting integral in our lives. It's waking up, growing up, cleaning up, mm-hmm. and showing up. And all four of those mm-hmm. interface with our wounds in very different ways. Yeah. Right. So as you say, waking up. I mean, um, it's a great way to learn how to develop sort of the equanimity and the, um, the resilience. And there's something about discovering yes. that, that unshakable mountain behind it all. 
and that you can trust is your deepest, highest, most truest self and everything and the, else is sort of, you know, dancing yeah. across that, that sort yes. of unshakable mountain. Yeah. And the more you can familiarize yourself with yeah. that sort of aspect of your being, the more you, of this you can contain, the more of this you can face. That's real quick, Corey. The, yeah. and you, I loved how you just said that because the phrase I use a lot is there's room for everything. And so it can contain, like you said, contain everything. So that's how I also see it relating to the rest of our experience. Right. So I want to highlight that. So go go ahead though. And well, and it's such an important piece. However, if we're only dealing with our traumas through sort of waking up technologies that are out there, then we miss a lot. You know, as Ken says, Ken and I just did um, a great episode last weekend. Uh, We were talking about integral historiography of all things. And uh, one of the points that he, that he raised that he raises often is that, you know, when we're on the cushion and we're sort of in this deep, enlightened state, this sort of selfless self state, um, there is no distinction in that state from, say, Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler. Right. There's no distinction. They are both, they both have, they both contain the same amount of suchness. They're both equally, um, they're both equal representations of non-duality in a certain kind of sense. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's only when we start getting into some of the other sort of elements of integral that we can actually begin finding the granularity that we need in order to identify our traumas, find some leverage around our traumas, and actually begin to do some healing with our traumas, Um, particularly with growing up, because obviously traumas occur in a particular line of development at a particular time in our life um, when sort of things tend to get a little bit deviated from our natural ongoing development as it would occur if that trauma hadn't happened to us. Um, so growing up gives us sort of this, this ability to scaffold these, these different intelligences and these different sort of dimensions mm-hmm. of ourselves and figure out sort of, okay, where did things go wrong mm-hmm. and what is sort of the appropriate um, healing methodology that I need to, to, you know, bring some of this back up to the surface. And that's huge. And then you've got cleaning up, which is all shadow work. Yeah. And obviously, you know, our traumas are just this like, never ending source of newer, deeper, more subtle, more oftentimes sinister shadows. Mm -hmm. And um, oftentimes when these traumas do occur to us, we spend decades playing these kind of shadow games. Yeah. And um, so there's, there's something about bringing all of these online that, that helps us. Because ultimately what I think what we're trying to heal in ourselves is we feel this, we feel this gap in terms of our capacity to show up. We say, okay, there's something that is prohibiting me from showing up as fully as I know I can, right? There's some kind of disconnect between the fullness I feel in here and then the fullness I'm able to sort of project out there. And Mm -hmm. I want to cross that. I want to close that gap. Yeah. Um, And I know I can only close that gap if I start doing this kind of embodied work around my own traumas that have been holding me back. Yeah. Totally. And so a few practical points. The reason why I'm a big fan of incorporating and rooting healing work in the body, not limiting it to only somatic experiencing and meditation integration, but there's a neutrality about it that I think is really important, especially when approaching uh, wounds and, and trauma. Uh, because so it's so personal, right? Trauma is is as personal as it gets. Mm -hmm. 
and it can make it very intense to look to work with. And this really, uh, there obviously there's a huge spectrum here. And you know, when we use the word wound or trauma, it can be a huge spectrum from things that are seem minor, especially when we're children, that can then actually have a lot of ramifications for how we interact with the world, it perpetually and habitually. And then other things that feel are overtly traumatic, where you know, uh, assaults and, and different things like this, where it's just like, wow, that's going to leave a lasting impact. But if we can have some sort of use that neutrality aspect of, of what's found in waking up to then be intimate with what is arising in our experience, we can then actually practice curiosity. Mm. And with our experience and through curiosity, we can start having different responses. We can, we can have that space to say, okay, how can I start getting, how can I get to know this a little bit more? And how can I start trying to do something different? And that's really important. And then another way to do that, practically speaking, is uh, through simple noting. And I'm just giving examples here. Like, you know, we've done the meditation uh, inhabiting the body before. There are different versions of that and different ways you can go about attuning to the somatic experience. And there's different meditations and so many different healing modalities. So this is just to make a point. But um, is to just note what's arising in very simple terms because this is a thing to a spirituality and with integral uh, or anything like that, we can get overly in our heads, overly abstract. That's about what trauma often does. It yeah, pulls yeah. us out of our bodies. But the thing, yeah, 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 right. And the, 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 what gets really challenging is, because, is that, for example, in spirituality, we can have a lot of narratives and stories of reframing what is actually painful into something totally different. And we get even further away from it. And I have found, especially in spirit, uh, spiritual communities and, and communities of waking up that in certain ways we make it too complicated even. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that healing is easy, but for example, just know what's happening, you know, shallow breath, anxiety, confusion, yeah, anxiety, uh, tightness, nothing, fear. You know, you can note these things in really simple ways. And one, if you feel resistant to just noting to yourself in very simple terms, be curious about that. Why, is, why do I need a much bigger narrative to just simply note something to myself, you know, about my experience? But if you can do that, I think it starts, it simplifies the connection, but then un. Uh, reveals a lot more nuance and complexity about our experience. So I don't know if this is making sense, but basically like by rooting into the body, by approaching it with this kind of soft objectivity, we actually open up into more subjectivity and intimacy. So I think that's, that's, that's such a critical point because, you know, as I, as I sort of mentioned earlier, I think until we get to the point in our healing where we have the capacity to do exactly that, to, to actually make these, really, really, really tremendously painful subjects into an object of awareness. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, when you're in the healing process, that is, um, yes. it, it feels like you're reliving the trauma in a certain way because you are. I mean, that's yeah. what trauma is. I mean, these memories are, are frozen in your body almost mm-hmm. on a cellular level. Mm-hmm. And so one of our immediate defense mechanisms, I mean, this has certainly been mine, is to disembody, is to, yeah. is to overly sort of cognize 
yeah. right? And and you it it creates this sort of illusion where you can think, oh, I'm dealing with my traumas. I'm thinking about them every day. Yeah. Well, you're, 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 it's probably a mix of thinking about them and thinking from them, right? Yes. Because there's a certain aspect of that subject that we still are preventing ourselves from making into an object, which again, there's no judgment on that because that is a completely 100% normal coping mechanism yes. yep. that is built into our, our, our wiring. I mean, this is, yeah. this is what we do and there's nothing wrong with that. However, being able to sort of notice that this is what's happening and allowing it to happen if that's sort of what you need in your healing process at that moment, but saying, mm. you know, there, there's something beyond this. There's yeah. something deeper in me that's bigger than this. And I'm not going to rest until I find it. Yeah, that uh, exactly. And to distill it down on the point of, of compassion, self-compassion, patience, curiosity, because yeah, these things at one point in time served us without a doubt it's they, these patterns, the patterns that emerge in response to, to wounds and trauma, whether a single instance or something we experienced over time, those in place for us to cope. Yep. And at a certain point later in our life, we start feeling like these things are no longer serving us that actually we're, we're feeling more capable, yet these things have a, a momentum to them that they're interfering with how we'd like to experience life. And so at that point we decide, okay, I'm, becoming more invested in wanting to change because change doing that kind of work and that, and, and having the motivation for that is, is difficult. It has to be very personal and felt deeply. Yeah. Um, even if somebody else, if we read about an idea about healing and we say, Oh, I'd like to do that. But if we're not ready for that, we have to find out how do we get there, you know? Right. And as an example of like patience and taking time for oneself, for example, in the inhabiting meditation we've done from Judith Blackstone, where you are tuning to the, uh, fundamental whole internal space of the body that also permeates outwardly. If, if it's too traumatic to even do that, because if it feels so terrifying to try to attune to the inner space of the body, you can actually do that with an object outside. So for example, if the image of the Buddha is something that you, that you feel peace and ease with, you can attune to the inner space of, uh, of that statue or of that being you know, ideally something that feels pretty neutral uh, mm -hmm. and not like another person might be a little more challenging to like attune to somebody who's right. In front Deities of were like designed yeah. for this. Yeah, it's do that. And to, but with the intention of saying like, okay, I know that this work I'm trying to do here is about inhabiting my personal existence, including my wounds. Now I'm going to inhabit this uh, statue of a uh, someone well-known like Buddha or a deity or a saint or something like that. And attuned to that for the purpose of getting more comfortable and relaxed with myself. Okay, then that's really effective. If it's to like sort of just remain outside of the body, which can be done too. For example, you can do daily meditations where that's the whole goal is transcending form. But here we're trying to stick with form, but we're trying to uh, attune to form that's a little easier for ourselves. So this is just an example. Oh, one more quick example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of taking that's something I want to I want to say real quick about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Working with our parents or our caregivers from our childhood in terms of visualizing is also a really powerful technique, but it's also probably one of the most, uh, the least favorite things we probably want to do. If, if it's with somebody, a parent or caregiver that we had a lot of issues with. And so sometimes in doing some of these attunement things where I'll, I can visualize somebody from my childhood in front of me to try to do some work with them, that might be terrifying or 
upsetting, pissed you off, whatever, you can send them like a mile away. Like, okay, they're a mile away now and they're only this big. Okay, I can do that now. I'll work with this now. Both of these are examples to say that like there's a spectrum to patiently step-by-step work with our wounds. And I think that can sometimes be missed in the grandiosity that can sometimes arise in spirituality and integral. Like we can get like, oh, I see the big grand finale and I want to get there when the, the work is tender, intimate, subtle, and we have to find ways to, to proceed. So, yep. what do yeah, you no, want to say? It's, it's, it's well said. Well, you're, you're commenting on sort of the deities and inhabiting sort of yeah. Buddha. And, and it's an interesting thing because with my various traumas, particularly the stuff with my daughter, um, I, I did exactly that. And I've mm. noticed very, very different experiences uh, depending on what sort of the object is that you are, or the subject, what, the subject object is that you're trying to inhabit. So when, um, you know, often it comes very easily to me, I've got Buddhas all over the house because they, they represent exactly that. They represent that sort of inner peace and equanimity and resilience yeah. and all of that. So yeah. it's a nice symbol that I, I, I'm, I'm very attracted to. Um, and because of sort of some of the cultural traumas that a lot of us inherit, um, it took me a little bit longer to do the same thing with, for example, Jesus Christ. Mm, yeah, now, right. I went to one of our integral um, seminars and Paul Smith was talking. And Paul Smith, if you don't know him, he is just a brilliant integral Christian who is uh, unpacking the tradition in really, really just um, beautiful and in novel ways that um, are very resonant, I think, with integral spirituality. Hmm. And um, when he was doing his presentation, he, he didn't, you know, he sort of invited us to, okay, here's a couple simple steps in order to establish a friendship <laughs> with Jesus Christ, hmm. which again, coming from sort of my cultural traumas, nothing has ever yeah. sounded cheesier to me <laughs> than that. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's like something my, my grandma would have said to me when I was seven years old or something like that. Yeah. But I was in sort of, you know, this very tender space already. And um, I have just such trust uh, in people like Paul Smith that I, I was like, okay, I'm going to suspend my disbelief and I'm going to do this practice and I'll just observe sort of what happens. And it was mm. powerful. Mm. It surfaced feelings in me that I didn't get when I was sort of trying to inhabit the face of the Buddha, for example. Yeah. It allowed me to release. It, let, uh, uh, it allowed me to, to cry. It allowed me to, to, yeah. to ask for support and for help in a way that, you know, the, the, the Buddhist archetypes, I mean, those are all about the distance. That's kind of, that's kind of their, their appeal, right? There's sort of this, this equanimous distance yeah. that they, that they uh, represent. Yeah. Um, and with Christ, it's like it brought me right into the wound and yeah. I was able to, to ask a higher power for help and for support yeah. and for assistance. And really that was itself yep. massively healing. So I'm just noticing sort of the, the, the differences and the texture and the quality of those experiences going from, yeah. now whether these are, these are coming from qualities that are sort of intrinsic to the deity themselves yeah. or to your enactment of that particular yep. symbol, that's a whole metaphysical conversation I don't yeah, yeah, sure. to have. Yeah. But um, it, it produces that's a, different results. This is a great example, Corey. Yeah, because uh, one, yeah, there will be just, different archetypal qualities um even in the buddhist kind of pantheon of, of deities they all have different things they're inhabiting and expressing um but you know obviously it's very different flavor of contemplative practice from buddhism to christianity 
And uh, so that's there. But then, as you mentioned, cultural trauma, where, uh, you know, Buddhism is, there are now a lot of children who've been, who have been practicing or have been part of a Buddhist family because Buddhism has now been really rooted in the West, but it's relatively new to our culture. So we haven't had enough time to build up our own traumas. We've been creating those traumas with Sangha scandals and things like that. But Christianity, we have plenty. So like, what's interesting is like somebody could go to say Buddhism first because it's fairly neutral. There's no past history with it. And so it's very inviting. Um, whereas Christianity might be the harder one and, but the more powerful one to like sort of whatever address or respond to whatever experiences were there from childhood. If you grew up with that, whereas it's funny for me, I didn't really grow up actually with anything Christian Christianity, except it part of being the culture. Like it's it part was, of our yeah, culture, it's, it's exactly. but I, I didn't, I didn't, unlike most Americans, I, I just didn't have that experience. And so for me, I, I can look at a, image of jesus christ and it's fairly neutral for me i'm like i don't know i don't have any personal background but so this matters where like what depends on what personal background you have yeah with visualizations or religion or whatnot and i don't want to i don't want to slide too far away from sort of the main topic here but there's something i i often um have said in the past which is you know we tend it seems to me that we westerners particularly americans maybe i'm just describing my own experience and projecting it onto everyone else because i'm really good at that too (laughs) <laughs> um, and I can probably track it back to three traumas that, um, yeah. but you know, I, I think that it, it seems to me, um, that there's sort of a, a natural progression that a lot of people make where they grow up with the exoteric form of a particular religion in our case, Christianity and all of its sort of yeah. calcified and, and, um, uh, you know, and these sort of very rigid forms that were presented with as children, um, later in life, we begin to sort of awaken to some sort of spiritual impulse or spiritual intelligence that brings us on, I think, this journey. And that journey leads us from the exoteric to the exotic. We see something like Buddhism and we're yeah, like, right. oh, wow, that's, that's a whole yep. other thing over there. And as you say, those symbols are not, you know, they're unladen by sort yeah. of these cultural traumas. We, we, we haven't had the opportunity to traumatize yeah, yeah. ourselves with, those, <laughs> right. with that symbology. Right. So we... we begin to get really, really interested in some of these exotic exactly. traditions. That yeah. leads us to the esoteric core of that yeah. tradition, right? Yeah. So we went from exoteric to exotic to yeah. esoteric. Yeah. Once we begin to notice the esoteric qualities, we begin to see those same qualities in every other spiritual tradition, yeah. including the tradition of our childhood. And that allows us to actually come back home yeah. in a certain kind of way and begin to address those culturally inherited traumas, which usually come from the exoteric form of that, yeah. not the esoteric. And yep. it gives us a new sort of uh, a, 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 a new place to stand yeah. in terms of how we relate to the tradition of our childhoods. And that itself, that entire journey and that cycling back is in a certain kind of way, one way of dealing with mm. this kind of cultural yep. trauma that yep. all of us are inflicted with. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and I'd say my experience has been that if something really had an impact on you, um, and you you feel it like when it it still comes up, then that's a sign that it's there's something there for you. And like you were saying, there's wisdom in that as well. You know, it's not just the pain of it. And so at some point, you're probably going to be interested and want or need to come to terms or to process, heal, transform whatever it is. And you know that off there's for a lot of folks, there is some stuff that's connected to religion. And this is a perfect example, but it could be applied to anything. So like, you can't just, you're not able to just leave your past behind. That's right. Which we, I think, and 
especially in the United States, we think maybe that'll be possible through transcendence, through rationality, through whatever it might be, you know, we're going to do that, but you know, it comes around yeah. and it takes a while. And I, I'm always, I'm always really happy to see that in people, especially I'm connected to so many communities that are spiritually oriented and, and really oriented. And when, if I see somebody who comes around to something really mundane, you know, about their life and say like, all right, I'm ready to explore this thing from long ago, you know, and really in a humble, tender way, then there's, there's real, that's real sign of like, even that alone is a real sign of, some beautiful healing being done because yeah. it's just not flashy. There's not, it's not an attainment, right? You know, like for spirituality, you can literally have attainments like, Oh, I I experienced this particular state of consciousness and this qualities and that this and this and the other, but uh, you know, healing is just healing. You don't go, Hey, all right. I healed that trauma from when I was five years old. Hoorah. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's not really so much a badge that you like to, share but it's probably one of the things that will have the most impact well it's, it's sort of the funny quality about healing too right is um it's it's not i mean i don't know how to say this without sounding callous um it's not hard to heal i mean we we healing is a natural process it yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of takes care of itself in a certain kind of way what's hard is getting out of our own way to allow yeah. that healing process to continue yeah. Um, and I think this is where trauma really, really gets us. And I, th and I think it comes from really two different directions. I mean, I think it comes from a, I mean, trauma can just completely blow our fuses in a certain kind of way mm -hmm. and make it so our nervous system is just not capable of responding to really any level of intensity. And there's mm -hmm. sort of a, a shutting down that, that occurs. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's funny when I shut down, I get really sleepy. So when I get really anxious, that's, that's my body's response is I, I, I want to yeah. go take a nap and like reset my brain yeah. uh, and come back. Yeah. So that's, that's how my body sort of deals yeah. with this type of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it, there are all these sort of different responses. I, th I think that there's also a piece of us, and again, this is something I can relate to. There's a piece of us that wants our trauma, again, to make us special. So there's something, we're actually in a certain kind of way, in an almost morbid kind of way, we get attached to our traumas. This, yeah. this defines me in some pivotal way. If you want to know me, then you need to know my trauma, right? Because yeah. this is going to be your secret decoder ring to understanding who I am as a person. And totally fair enough, because your trauma is sort of an inherent, inextricable part of, of your character. I mean, and it, and it always will be, and it should shape who you are as a person, but we can't allow it to define who we are as people. Mm, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And you know, uh, two common responses is one is to do that where it's like to really make it front and center. And I think that happens again, even more in kind of spiritual communities and communities like ours, but uh, then other people want to go the other way where they like, I don't got a trauma. I don't got a trauma. Yeah. Like nothing, nothing's wrong here, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but either mm -hmm. way, that's why I say like finding safety finding a safe environment, a safe uh, space, which I mean, we can talk a lot about that because that word gets used a lot, but truly where a person can, can relax and get more intimate with themselves, where they can let go of controlling the outer world such that they can look inwardly at what's going on. That's really important. Mm. Um, so that's what somehow we have to find a way in. And so that happens a lot, for example, in therapy, you know, there's, you can get into a space where it's okay. This room feels good. This person feels good slowly, but surely I'm going to feel more and more comfortable to open up 
and that means opening up to myself really, yeah. but in the witness and presence of somebody else who can also respond. Um, you know, and I think we've kind of hit on this too, that like wounds and trauma can take different forms. We will talk about this a lot in terms of individual trauma because I saw this the other day on Facebook. People, sometimes I think people can get so caught up in, in deconstructionism and uh, that it gets to the point of, for me, just being annoying. I'm just going to be honest. And I would invite those people to watch our, I would invite those people to watch our previous episode, Inhabit Your Digital Life. Yeah, that would be a good one. And there's not a point to it, but for example, one of the phrases that I loved from my grad program for counseling was uh, from one of our teachers who he had leukemia, survived it, and then he got it back again and, and passed away. But he was a, a real leader amongst the, the, the teachers there. And he was, uh, I think, president of the Victor Frankel Institute for a while. So he, he went through some shit, you know, and uh, he's, he said, I, he might have been quoting somebody else, but um, it was something that you're not responsible for what happened to you, but you're responsible for doing something with it, essentially. And I, he had another one, you alone must do it, but you can't do it alone. Mm. and but i saw some the people breaking down this thing uh you're not responsible but uh, for what happened to you but you're responsible for yourself and people want to take out the butt because it negates the thing and true enough yes but i would just put a period and then use the word and because it's like there's no way around it like as much as we are upset with what has been done with the, to us because usually the wounds and trauma are connected to something that has happened to us i mean after a certain point, though, we can compound things and we start our own choices, especially the more, when we're adults, you know, um, and we have more power, we can make our own lives more miserable. But it's like, it's still like, if, if I don't want to change and have an experience be different, then it won't happen. Yeah. So there is individual responsibility. Ryan, this is, this is, this is, I just want to double click that real quick. Yeah. Um, this is huge. And, and, and real briefly, Raquel is um, watching with us and she just made a comment, uh, oh, sweet. which is related, I think, to what I want to talk about. Um, it is my experience as a psychologist and therapist that people just don't want to heal because they are attached to their unreal constructive identity. That is yeah. such an important point. And that's sort of yeah. what I was yeah. trying to drive at earlier. And this gets really, really difficult when we are talking about sort of collective traumas that we that we inherit that we can't avoid because yes. they're just we're born into sort of these traumas um yeah. one example that we talked about recently with diane hamilton in the integral justice warrior talk you like how i use these shows to plug yeah all absolutely shows? it's really great to have all these connections <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things we we're talking about was uh there was a phrase used that i really liked uh anticipatory trauma around climate change yeah yeah right so we yeah. feel this yeah. just this pressing down on us yeah. and a lot of us don't know how to respond so we devoted yeah, right. an episode to trying to sort of you know yeah. how to modulate those kinds of uh, stresses and anxieties and traumas um i was also having a conversation with a buddy of mine uh justin miles uh who's a really good friend of mine he leads mm. a uh he's a shambhala buddhist who leads a black meditation group in mm. baltimore awesome. and we were talking about collective traumas, particularly uh, collective traumas in the black community. Yes. And, and obviously this is a community who, you know, I mean, the entire legacy of African-Americans in the United States is a history of trauma. Yes. And it's a trauma that occurred generations ago. And, uh, you know, the, the, the reverberations are still obviously being felt today. However, the problem is 
the people who actually did the traumatizing, I'm not talking about some asshole who yells the N word at Popeye's chicken or, you know, any of that dumb shit that we (laughs) see all the time, but the actual, you know, source of this like really malicious systemic oppression. Well, those people are all dead. Right. And in fact, the laws have changed so much in the last 50 years that, you know, it's not that there's still, you know, not some residue of systemic oppression in the lower right quadrant. Um, But as Ken says, most of that has been removed. It's illegal to discriminate. It's illegal to do now how we interpret the laws versus how the laws written are very different. So that's where we start seeing a lot of these gaps that still show up. But my point being when you're dealing with this massive amount of collective trauma and you don't have anyone you can point the finger at, right? You don't have, you don't have anyone you can say, yeah. I blame you. Fuck you. Yeah. Cause oftentimes assigning blame is part of that natural healing process. And when you don't have that, you can't find the leverage to get out of this sort yeah. of traumatized reaction that you get stuck in, that you get stuck in. You don't have the opportunity to make, subject into object around, as Raquel says, this unreal constructed reality that mm-hmm. we develop for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, where again, that, that, that trauma becomes sort of the, the defining central point. And then we begin to, um, you know, only react as if we have been victimized by the world, which, oh my God, absolutely. Yes, you have. Mm-hmm. And what is sort of the next chapter in that story? Yeah. Absolutely. And a couple of things on that one, you know, uh, when we use the term responsible, right? Like you're not responsible for what happened to you, but you're responsible for doing something with it. There's always this interpretation, right? Of the tone of what that means. Cause responsible can mean blame versus, or it could mean opportunity. Right. And so that's the thing. So it's like, well, you're responsible f- for taking steps on your healing. Uh, well, that's just means that it's an opportunity. I mean, that's just it's sort of just a neutral kind of fact that, that, that's going to be the case rather than like you, I'm pointing my finger at you. Um, then also though, with a collective cultural trauma, it's a really interesting point that, so, that there's not somebody specific to point to, but there still can be things in place systemically that make life, that makes life difficult for, for certain groups of people. And that's still true today. And so I did want to make mention of that, that like that gets really complex where some people are experiencing ongoing trauma or their life is so difficult because of the systems that are in place that there is certain truth to say like, well, I, I'm, this is active and happening right now. How the hell am I going to, it's not my power to change what's happening to me. So at that point it's in the power. The only thing they can do is try to figure out how to cope with these systemic cultural issues, um, which still is, is like, that's kind of Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, and him living in the concentration camps and somehow surviving that, but a lot of his family and friends dying and him looking at how do some, how did some people psychologically survive this environment and he went to meaning. So even in the most dire, horrific of circumstances, he looked to find out what can a person do to stay sane. Yes. And, but we have to, again, I, I, that's what I'm saying. Like that's the complexity that Oracle can hold around trauma is that we don't lose any of these things. Like we don't just say, well, sometimes this day, especially when it's progressives, we just say, well, the only thing that's possible, the only thing that's going to solve it is the collective and the individual is totally at the mercy and power of everything else. Yep. It takes a lot of power away from a person to be able to, 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 to transform and to, to cope. But also conveniently but, lets them off the hook. Yeah, well, that's well, that's what I mean. That it would let them off the hook and rob them of that possibility. But on the other hand, we can't then go the opposite way and say, well, 
it's mostly an individual's responsibility to to heal when there's a lot of bullshit that some people are dealing with and and it depends on your particular as you say cosmic address of like the various identities and how you're seen in society of whether you're going to experience more or less outer continual pressures and wounds and traumas so this is a, obviously, I think it's good to like time the other shows because it's too much to handle all this discussion in one show. But just to say that like, I'm acknowledging that trauma uh, often comes outwardly relationally, whether family, you know, society, and some of it can be really, really active right now in people's lives, their home lives or the society, schools, work, political structures. And th- those are just real. And I don't want to put it all on the individual, but we're talking a lot today about what we can do as individuals as one piece of the pie, because it is absolutely an important and necessary piece of how can we address these internally. I think some of the other shows, like especially with Diane, you you all sound like you're having conversations that really apply collectively, like what are we sure. doing here? Yep. And, 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 and identifying the individual's role within that, but yeah, the yeah, emphasis yeah. is on these sort of cultural yeah. fault lines. Yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to sort of acknowledge that because I feel like it's a big piece of the pie. Yeah. And of course, there's our monthly shows with Keith Witt, where trauma yeah, is like right. a centerpiece um, of what we talk about month after month, really tra- dealing with trauma and uh, you know creating more healthy relationships. And at the end of the show, I've got a whole sort of list of other resources um, that I'll share with people and, and we'll get to that. But, you know, it's, as you say, Ryan, it is such a huge topic and it's such an important topic because again, as I started off the show, um, you know, I think that to some degree, all of us as integralists have some, we all feel some obligation to sort of uh, participate in that journey of the wounded healer. And I yeah. think for a lot of us, it just becomes a question, okay, what is, what is going to win that race? Is it the wound or is it the wisdom? Because every wound has a wisdom waiting inside of it to be uncovered. Yeah. But the question is, which fuse is burning quicker? Now, I have seen in the integral community, I have, you know, some of the most uh, amazing people that I've ever come across have been able to find the resilience, find sort of the leverage they need to deal with their wounds, manage their wounds, you know, never quite yeah. healing from them because some scars don't heal, but you know, you're able to sort of move forward in life. And some of the other most amazing people I've ever known in my life succumbed to their wounds, mm. right? I have yes. two colleagues that I work directly with here at Integral Life who took their own lives yeah. because the wound one in the end yes. mm. and that is i mean that's its own source of trauma <laughs> you know yeah. for me and its own source of like fuck i need to get on top of this shit i need to get on top of this shit because that could easily be me if mm. the circumstances were even just a little bit different mm-hmm. and i have such empathy i have such you know what i mean and i want to do everything I can and everything we can with my relationship with you, Ryan, and our friendship right. to, 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 to make sure people know that they have a place to go. Yes. Their woundedness, yeah. that, um, that you're not alone, that there are resources here. There are people here who love you, who mm-hmm. will um, try to meet you however you want to be met and um, will do everything they can to make sure you don't sort mm-hmm. of fall down that, you know, that, that yeah. spiraling path. Um, it's not something I ever want to see happen. Yeah, that I mean, that is the power of relationships and and 
the we's that we're a part of, you know, to know that we're not alone and to, to just be held by other people. And uh, actually I was going to mention related to that. And I kind of talked about this earlier, but simply, simply saying what's going on without even transforming it or like intentionally trying to transform it. Like you said, earlier, oh, if you get overwhelmed, maybe you need to go to sleep and some people that's like numb out or, you know, uh, the ability to just say that, right. Uh, I'm, I numb out. Oh, I'm feeling numbing out. Here's numbing, numbing out's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even doing anything to change it. Just be like numbing, you know? And, uh, for me actually being in the presence of other people who have a strong capacity to do that when meaning in that moment, they haven't transformed all of their trauma or wounds or changed necessarily all the patterns they have, but they seem to be friendly with it and open with it. Ah, that for me in that kind of wee space is very comforting. It's, uh, it's very encouraging. So again, even though obviously everybody's working to change those patterns that are difficult in in ourselves and in our relationships and society, but even that simple acknowledgement and doing that with other people can be so powerful. It's, it's so important, right? And this is, this is, this is important for people who are dealing with trauma to hear. And it's important for people who know other people who are dealing with trauma to hear. Because again, one of my experiences, one of the wisdoms that emerged for me with my own sort of story was um, people don't know how to deal with other people's trauma. It's too much. It's intense, right? And that can often sort of um, manifest itself in very uncomfortable ways. So one of the things that I noticed when I was going through everything with, with, um, with my daughter was uh, noticing which of my friends showed up right, and were willing to like, just hold even just a little bit of the space with us for just a little bit, you know, a little while uh, versus the friends who I've known, you know, most of my life, who I just never heard from again. And, and that sort of is, again, its own sort of traumatizing experience in a certain kind of way. But if you can look at it, if you can make that subject into object and you can sort of relieve some of that resentment that builds, it's like, I get it. Yeah, I get it. I mean, inhabiting someone else's wound is the same as inhabiting your own wound. And it's painful. And the same defense mechanisms can pop yeah. up, right? And we, right. Can, we can, just like we can avoid our own traumas and our own wounds, we can also unconsciously, I, I, I assume it's unconscious, but we can also unconsciously avoid other people's wounds because we don't have the bandwidth oh, for, for that sure. much intensity. Yeah, exactly. When that's very natural and especially, yeah, depending on our own triggers and past experiences, that will definitely, will gravitate towards certain people and avoid other people. And sometimes that's actually really beneficial and useful. And then sometimes that's actually part of the pattern that gets exacerbated. It's hard to know. I've had both happen for myself in my life. Um, But obviously that ends up changing the more healing we do, the more um, both cleaning up, healing and growing up that happens, waking up, we have more space and energy, you know, to be with people who are more, are particularly challenging for us Mm -hmm. and even more to those people we, we have ease with. Um, and, uh, and there are things we can do to cultivate, right? Obviously this, uh, demonstrated by professionals and, you know, fields like psychology, for example, where you can cultivate skill, explicit skill and capacity to work with others. But, you know, even 
just in life, we can develop certain capacities to, so we can be with other people more easily, but it's usually going to have to start with us. Even for professionals, like in my grad program, you know, we focus so much that program in particular, they focused on us cleaning up, you know, even before like focusing too much on like, Oh, here's how you can work with other people. It's just sort of like, let's make sure you're really aware of all the shit you got. So that way you're not dumping it on everybody else. So I would say that that's one thing is like being trying to be there for other people and their trauma uh, can be difficult just because we don't have enough experience with our own. and, And because transference is a bitch. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we can't be present with other people, you know, with love or compassion, but you know, that intentional of like expecting ourselves not to be overwhelmed mm-hmm. or to be ineffective, you know, that's going to happen. Yep. Um, but uh, as you mentioned a few times, the, there's wisdom, you know, in our, in our wounds. And for me, especially if it's somatically, you, you can unpack wisdom and also energy. Um, so depending on what kind of tradition you look at, you know, there's a lot of, of different traditions out there that talk about energy in the body, you know, whether chakra systems or the meridians and things like that, acupuncture, but we can kind of just feel this. Like if you attune to your body, like, Oh, I always, you know, I clench my stomach or I clench my chest or I clench my jaw. And this is literally energy on a physical level, but then we can also experience when things start to loosen up, we can actually experience, you can experience, for example, the jaw loosening up. And then what happens? What, what's my experience of myself and how I speak when the jaw is loose? Yeah. That's a whole thing. Oh, wow. What does that feel like? My mouth moves. It might be awkward. It might feel really strange. Like, oh, I don't even know how to be, you know, if with this is being fluid. Um, but we know that there's more energy and we have a new relationship with ourselves. So I think the angle that we take a lot on this show and inhabit, you know, of inhabiting the body too, this is where you can notice some of these, these things in terms of working with it. Of uh, And I like to point out this because it can be encouraging. Those little steps of being like, oh, wow, I can tangibly notice that I relaxed this part of my body when I was working with this experience. That's actual change. Right. Maybe it comes back because the pattern's really deep, but you know, it's something we can notice. So yeah. I'm all about notice, notice whatever you can notice that's yeah. positive and meaningful to like help fuel this difficult work. Yeah. Right. And I think if you, if we can learn to sort of uh, integrate that somatic approach with this sort of deeper yes. spiritual resilience yep. equanimity thing that we were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, it's bringing those two pieces together um, while yep. also being willing to do the shadow work and, and, and to look directly at sort of, um, you know, these, these dissociated pieces of ourselves um, that are often just causing so much damage in sort of the yeah. basements of our psyches. Um, yeah. And again, to reiterate um, some from Judith Blackstone, you know, and my interpretation of uh, having there's room for everything that we talked about. That's one aspect of integrating Mm -hmm. that waking up and this healing is that there's room and possibility to work with this and to feel in, to feel if you don't believe that's true, but what's that mean? Now that's interesting to explore that with curiosity. "Mm -mm, There's no room because sometimes it can happen, especially with, with, the folks you were talking about of wearing the trauma as a, as a, you know, fixed sort of characteristic of this mm-hmm. is who I am. Or sometimes when I think progressive community gets a little too inflamed on the, and being on the collective side, there's a sense of like, there's no room or possibility. There's a self defeating aspect there, but if there's room, then we have to sort of acknowledge that it's possible. And that can sometimes be really heartaching, you know, yeah. tender to be like, 
there is possibility, there is room. And then the other thing to say is uh, a word, I can't remember if I use this word, I'm pretty sure Judith uses this word, but to describe this whole fundamental um, space of our body and of reality, to also say unbroken and uninjurable. And that's really mm. powerful to feel in that, that word, there's a part of us that is uninjurable. What is that? How does that change things? How do I, what happens when I tune to that? There is a part of me that is injurable too, but then that's how we can merge those, those two experiences in, in practice. You know? Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And in terms of um, how to find that space. Yeah. Cause you're right. I mean, for a lot of people who don't have any background in meditation or any of these contemplative sort of exercises that can sound just like a completely foreign language to them. Yes. And I think there's ways to communicate this in ordinary language and surprise, surprise, our buddy Ken Wilbur does this really fucking well. Um, and there's a, there's a passage I want to share from his book, One Taste. So I'm going to share that screen Great. so you can kind of read along. Um, and this, is, this has been something, you know, I have been returning to for, geez, the 20 years since he's returned it, but especially in those times of where I'm just feeling highly impacted and I don't know, um, I'm starting to feel claustrophobic within sort of my own traumas and injuries yeah. and wounds. And this helps me sort of mm, remember nice. that deeper, yeah. wider space. Uh, so I'm just going to read this out loud. Uh, let me move this over. People typically feel trapped by life, trapped by the universe, because they imagine that they are actually in the universe. And therefore, the universe can squish them like a bug. This is not true. You are mm. not in the universe. The universe is in you. The typical orientation is this. My consciousness is in my body, mostly in my head. My body is in this room. This room is in the surrounding space, the universe itself. That is true from the viewpoint of the ego, but utterly false from the viewpoint of the self. If I rest as witness, the formless I, I, it becomes obvious that right now I am not in my body. My body is in my awareness. I am aware of my body. Therefore, I am not my body. I am the pure witness in which my body is now arising. I am not in my body. My body is in my consciousness. Therefore, be consciousness. If I rest as the witness, the formless I, I, it becomes obvious that right now I am not in this house. This house is in my awareness. I am the pure witness in which this house is now arising. I am not in this house. This house is in my consciousness. Therefore, be consciousness. If I look outside this house to the surrounding area, perhaps a large stretch of earth, a big patch of sky, other houses, roads, and cars, if I look, in short, at the universe in front of me, and if I rest as the witness, the formless I, I, it becomes obvious that right now I am not in the universe. The universe is in my awareness. I am the pure witness in which this universe is now arising. I am not in the universe. The universe is in my consciousness. Therefore, be consciousness. It is true that the physical matter of your body is inside the matter of the house, and the matter of the house is inside the matter of the universe. But you are not merely matter or physicality. You are also consciousness as such, of which matter is merely the outer skin. The ego adopts the viewpoint of matter and therefore is constantly trapped by matter, trapped and tortured by the physics of pain. But pain, too, arises in your consciousness, and you can either be in pain 
or find pain in you so that you surround pain, are bigger than pain, transcend pain, as you rest in the vast expanse of pure emptiness that you deeply and truly are. So what do I see? If I contract as ego, it appears that I am confined in the body, which is confined in the house, which is confined in the large universe around it. But if I rest as the witness, the vast, open, empty consciousness, it becomes obvious that I am not in the body, the body is in me. I am not in this house, the house is in me. I am not in the universe, the universe is in me. All of them are arising in the vast, open, empty, pure, luminous space of primordial consciousness. Right now, and right now, and forever right now. Therefore, be consciousness. Beautiful. Let that, that sink in. I love that book. Um, this is a uh, Ken's great, especially in One Taste, you know, where he wrote really oh, personally. Yeah, yeah um, that's yeah, one of my favorites from him. Um, especially if anybody who is less uh, cerebrally oriented, One Taste is really great because he gets a lot really personal and mixing also his, uh, his philosophy and uh, pointing out instructions. So one thing here, though, with this, so the, and Ken already talks about all of this all the time. If, especially if you read the book, you'll, he'll say things like what I'm about to say. But uh, this particular instruction here is really powerful for waking up you know, because this sort of witnessing consciousness or experiencing what he's describing here is incredibly important for waking up. It's really powerful because you really are able to disconnect from form, right? You're able to see it uh, and it is transcending, not a... Um, it's not spiritual bypassing. Yeah, it's not a bypassing uh, by itself. You know, it's not. But you really got to keep going further into the non-dual experience, which Ken talks about. And he That's what he would list after this, you know, a non-dual awakening where there's that intimacy of form and emptiness because it's too easy to, to rest in that empty witnessing state and saying like, yeah, there is pain here, but you still got to deal with the pain. And that's how this ultimately these things get tied together is by doing what he's doing there, which that description is so great of like, of, of describing that uh, space, yeah. the, the room for all the pain rather than being, you know, feeling collapsed by experience. And this is what contemplative traditions offer us in terms of wounds is the space That's right. that we're not um, totally at the mercy of, 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 of what's arising that we can work with it. Um, but we do want to come back, like, especially with the body is like feeling that consciousness, that spaciousness permeate our lived experience, our body, where we don't feel like we have to take steps, steps back, back and back in order to witness that we can experience that quality permeating everything right now, including Kitty. <laughs> my cat is going nuts while you're, you're being all deep and profound and sincere over there. And my cat's just like, he's an asshole. This is perfect. This is really good. Um, no, that, so, was, that was really well said. Hey, Tanuki, I love you. Shut up, buddy cat acts like he's never fed. I feed him like 10 times a day. It's crazy. Um, I want to uh, take a moment to actually invite anyone watching us um, to participate. Raquel, you've been making a bunch of really great comments this entire time, uh, some of which I'll read in just a moment. But if you want to actually join the conversation and make a couple of live comments, uh, just hit the raise my hand button. That'll let us know you want us to turn on your mic or your, your uh, video. And there's Raquel. Um, so what do you say we bring it over, Ryan? Yeah, sure. That sounds cool. great. And again, I'm sorry about the cat. 
<laughs> I think it adds something. That's a good, it's a good way to deal with trauma, by the way. Just pet your cat for 20 minutes. Heck yeah. There's Raquel. Oh, hey, cool. Raquel. Here I am. <laughs> Hi, guys. It's Hello. wonderful to listen to such a profound talk about wounds because the world is wounded. Yes, amen. And, uh, and right now, Spain is wounded. Mm. You know that yesterday it was the, the elections and uh, the extreme right wing has been uh. very, very, very high. And therefore wounding even more the horrible situation in which we don't even have a government since almost a year. And we thought that these elections were going to uh, represent a, a change. And it hasn't. It's right. been worse. So we are wounded as country and individually we are also very, very wounded because we are tired of all this corruption and all these things that we see. Uh, like you were talking, I think it was you, um, Corey, that were talking in a moment about when there is nowhere you can look at because before Spain has looked a lot to the United States, we know that, okay. right? I think that not only Spain, but many countries. And right now we are in a, such a disillusioned state in which, oh, but now we are alone. We, we are more alone than ever, you know? It's, yeah. it's so difficult. So it's, it's a, a great wound in our own country, but also we see the wounds of other countries. Yeah. It's, it's a real wounded moment. Yeah. yeah. This is well, really I mean, for point. the one thing, as an American talking to a Spaniard, you're definitely not alone <laughs> in those wounds, um, you know, because this is something that uh, I, I think all of us in the West are facing, sort of this resurgence of far-right populism. Uh -huh. uh, which is, you know, carried on this wave of a perspective of madness where you can't tell up from down or fact from fiction. There you are. We can see Hello. you. Hello. <laughs> um, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's challenging. And there is a sense in which, I mean, it's, it's sort of ironic, right? I mean, these, these types of sort of social wounds that we're all experiencing, they do sort of divide us even further. I mean, as you were saying, geez, you know, the United States used to be our role model and now we don't know who to, to look up to. Um, and that's, that's difficult. There's sort of this, this uh, painful differentiation, even dissociation yeah. process that happens. And yet the irony of it is it's all coming from the same place and we're all sort of dealing with the same, you know, those wounds are all, are, are all manifesting in our different societies and they seem to be coming from a very, very similar place. So even though it's pushing us away from each other, there's sort of a, a, a universality that we can feel with each other, where we can empathize with each other, where we can be like, Jesus, I, I can't imagine what is going on and how it lands, particularly in your culture, because that's outside of sort of my water. But I can tell you our version of that, you know what I mean? And my hope is that there's a wisdom that's coming through this 
through, through these wounds that says, Raquel, you and I, you, you, me and Brian, people like us need to be talking more often and more frequently and sharing these mm -hmm. kinds of wounds with each other so that mm -hmm. we can sort of reconvene and feel this sense of solidarity and mm -hmm. hopefully transform the, this trauma as a, as a sort of paralytic into trauma as rocket fuel. I want this to, 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 you know, make us double down on our commitment and double down on our civic duties and responsibilities and obligations and do everything we can to push the world forward, at least in our little corner of, of the universe. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And I thank you that you talk about this because I was seeing also um, the Thomas Hubble um, yep collective uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm expecting to read the book as soon as, as it comes out because it's going to be very nice also to see what he thinks about this collective wounding and uh, but it is true that we need to believe uh, that that we can make it together you know mm -hmm. we can get out of the wound of humanity you know, we, we really need to believe and to remember all the times that we have done it as humanity. Yeah. yeah. Because we have come out of many horrible things as humanity. So why not now? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, Raquel, thank you. Uh for sharing. Um yeah, thank, you. thank you for being our first ever caller for yeah. inhabit. <laughs> so, some, some, someone send her a prize yeah uh, thank, thank you. you so much Raquel and I hope you can join us uh, next time sure very well thank you thank you yeah that was so uh, uh, that was yeah. so well said that's a really good point because uh, yeah it's a really difficult time that's that made the point really clear that right now in the world I think everybody's looking everywhere else and being like hey is there something better happening elsewhere and we just see no matter what country and you're like gosh pretty much sucks everywhere oh it Jesus, feels like there's so, unrest everywhere lebanon yeah. and egypt and you know, yeah. everywhere now i actually take this as good news because yeah, okay. you know what i mean this is also something I, I talk about pretty frequently but like nowhere in the fossil record nowhere in human history can you find a single example of a collective transforming proactively because they're anticipating something com coming down the line. Yep. We yep. only transform when we're traumatized, when something changes in our, in our environment that forces us to adapt in order mm -hmm. to survive, when something actually, you know, when um, we didn't enter World War II until it landed in our backyard in Pearl Harbor. I mean, these things that we, we don't mm -hmm. snap to attention until we can actually feel the trauma. Mm -hmm. And once we begin to feel the trauma, it's like, you know, speaking as an American, it's like the United States is this slumbering giant and it takes a lot to wake it up. But once it wakes up, it takes some pretty yeah. big steps fairly quickly. Yeah, the, and, right. I, I was thinking something similar, basically, and, and more more recently is that, I mean, we, do, we don't want the conditions in the world that are, are happening right now. If we could just push a button to make it all better, I think most of us would. But um that when the shit hits the fan enough, humans in the in his, historically speaking have rallied. Yeah. And uh, I was kind of joking with a friend recently that you know on the stock world there's these things uh, 
that if, if a stock is going down, but the fundamentals of a company is still good, smart people will buy when the stock is in the shitter. When everybody else is freaking out enough, you buy the stock because you believe in the long term. And when everybody's uh, idealistic and, and buying, 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 you start selling you start looking out. And so for me with humanity, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in on humanity. It's like, a seller's market like it's, or a buyer's it's, market. Well, it, 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 for smart people. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm, I, I think we'll do it. And like Raquel was saying that um, based on the past, we've recovered a lot. Now it still is like, I mean, it's not a great time right now. Yeah. I mean, it's not. Well, and also enough. I just want to acknowledge just people watching this who aren't necessarily politically aligned yeah. with where we're coming from. And that's okay too. I think this still applies. I think you probably also I, see. That's your, what I think. I, I don't know that of this trauma. That's what I think too. I think that's what's when something is universal is like, I don't think there's regardless of any of rhetoric, you know, that people might say, especially in the United States of like, no, oh, no, no, this is great. I don't think anybody's happy. Like I, I think like most people are really unhappy with the world. We might have differing views of where we think it should go, but I think it's like pretty, it's pretty bizarre of like how much, how many of us really, look at the world and say, geez, this is a real shit show. Yeah. Ryan, when it rains, it pours. We have another caller. We do. Okay. Vlad, you're over here. Uh, we're going to unmute yeah. you. Hey, Vlad. Hi, guys. Uh, well, not sure how to get into this, uh, but I can relate to what Raquel is saying. I'm, I'm from Romania and we still have elections and we, hmm. we are celebrating, let's say, 30 years since we left the communists. Um, ideology in some sense so we are still kind of waking up from that dark period in, in some sense mm. or uh, I don't want to turn this conversation about me but maybe you can you can advise me in some sense so uh, for the last two years I I kind of had enough of, of corruption in my medical field I'm a doctor a resident doctor and mm. uh, for the fact that I stood against uh, my head of department because he was actually doing a shitty job providing a shitty role model and mm. didn't actually care for the patients or the students or whatever. And now I'm kind of paying for it because I didn't get into my exams and stuff. Mm. Not sure how to, I'm not regretful or sad about it because I did the right thing. It had to be done, but mm -hmm. still it put me, it, it put me in, in a really bad situation, financially speaking, emotionally, and all of the other stuff. So, yeah. yes, yeah. The, the right That's, thing is seldom the easy thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it isn't. That's I, uh, yeah, I think this is similar to the points we were talking about earlier where there, there are real things out of our control that impact us, you know? And I think firstly, it's for me, it's always good to just acknowledge that, that like if something hasn't my fault, right? Like I didn't have control over that or I wouldn't have done something different, right? Like I feel an yeah. integrity. Yeah, I'm not and, blaming it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but resting in that a little bit, you know, for me, you know, to the, the, in the, the goodness of what I believed in or, uh, and to acknowledge that, that the, this shit is happening to me. And, and especially with economics and finances, this is like something that's impacting so many people all over the world. And, oh, yeah. um, Your integrity can't pay the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. Exactly. Of course. And yeah. this is partly why I say some of these things have to be solved collectively. You know, like it would be too easy to just say, oh, well, yeah, you're 
Yeah, right. Your integrity can't pay it, but you know, can't pay your rent or your mortgage. Yeah. But same thing is like no amount of meditation, you know, yeah. will yeah. pay it either. Yeah. If, right. if, if it were, I'd live in a, I'd have a better situation myself. <laughs> of course, <I'm>, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think sometimes like for me, I guess if I feel really clear, like if there is trauma for myself around the kind of situation like that, where like it's a holding pattern in myself, and it's repeating, then I want to try to work with that to see like, how can I at least let that energy be freed so I can be more responsive to my life. Um, if I feel good on that front, then I actually might turn to uh, meditative contemplative practices and, and the way that Corey and I were talking of like, of tapping into the space around form, around the form of my life, you know? So there's two things here. I don't know if that makes sense. Like one is, okay, is there something active that's unconscious in myself that's in my own way that I can work with and, and release, then I'm going to do that. And if not, then if I still feel weighted down and heavy by life, you know, then try to open up to it spaciously with presence. And then of course, anything strategically that can be done, obviously like in an actionable way, you're going to be doing that simultaneously, right? If you mm -hmm. pay bills, you have to do that. But those are three things for me to like distinguish strategic action. What mm -hmm. am I, what can I do? What's possible knowing that it wasn't my fault and that the, a lot of these things are out of our control. Are, are there anything I'm holding on to that I can deal with healing wise in some of the manners that we discussed? And then the spaciousness of transcending it so that we're not completely weighted down by the realities of life, which also allows me to be more presence or allows me to find gratitude amongst the suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a hard situation. These are, I think a lot of people. Global problems. Yeah. 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 Vlad, yeah, where where do you feel like you are in that process? I mean, do you feel like um... well, I I'm 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 not attached to the outcomes of, of of the things that I'm doing, but I'm some of the things needed to be done. Even if I had to pay the price for it, it they had to be done. We yeah. cannot continue in that sense. So mm, yeah, yes. the, well, it sounds the, like the you're. That... Go ahead. Sorry. The thing that's frustrating me in a bit is that it will actually take us 30 years more to to get to a, a decent understanding of what a social democracy is. So yeah, I think that's shitty. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel. That. I mean, I thought about that a lot, you know, in the United States, and I realized that. I mean, I don't know. And nowadays, when people look at the United States, like Rick Kell is saying, we used to look at the United States, and now, now <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe maybe our status is fully degraded. But I also recognize that there's a lot of situations in the United States that are still better in in terms of, yeah, of quality course. of life. So I don't I want to be mindful of that. But yeah. even when I look at the United States and the things we need to do, and in the world, I'm like, yeah, should this might take 30 years, which is a bummer, you know? Because I'm like, well, yeah. will I be around long enough to? <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that like my individual situation your individual situation yeah it's like well what's going to happen with that but uh, yeah but the, like i said these involve bigger conversations about the world we're in not just our own individual experience but that's where i look at most especially right now is like how can we best cope yeah. be resilient yeah yeah, yeah like Corey said before yeah sorry Corey. like like you said it before we need to have these conversations more yes. often and just figure yeah. out uh, how to push more people into this. In yeah. Sense. Yeah. I fully agree. And, you know, and I'm just going to say particularly men who I think are um, struggling to rediscover a sense of masculinity that can actually integrate. Yeah, I had enough of that deconstruction greenish stuff. So yeah. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and it sounds, Vlad, it sounds to me like, you know, you were doing a really good job of, of sort of remaining present with this sort of, you know, what sounds like an ongoing trauma in a lot of ways yeah. for you yeah. without sort of lapsing into despair or cynicism. Well, I, I had my period. I'm not, I'm not a hero or something. So <laughs> <laughs> you, well, of course. You yeah. 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 That makes sense. Well, yeah, yeah it, it does sound like, I agree, Corey, that it sounds like you're really aware of what's going on in your experience. And then it's just a matter of kind of, for me, always subtly finding it, okay, what do I need right now? And that's one practice that I've, I think we shared of like attuning to the body and then asking certain inquiry questions from a really clear space of without expectations of like, what do I most need right now? And then listen, witness for a response to come up. But the key is to really inhabit the body and then to also kind of transcendently let go of the experience such that when you ask the question, something really authentic arises. So that could be something to help guide of like, where do you need to go next? Whether it be your own internal process or something in the world. Well, yeah, yeah. the irony of it is that I kind of did that like five minutes ago and I'm talking uh-huh. to you, so. Oh, well, perfect. Hey, things, things happen. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I really appreciate you sharing all that. And I think it just adds so much more to our discussion, you know, of like yeah. real world, not just Corey and I's uh, personal experiences or or talking about the world, but to share your real life experience. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Vlad. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank, thank you. Much. Bye. Wow. Two callers um, in one episode. Hey, this is awesome. And you know, I, I think it's super great that um, we had two international uh, listeners come in because it really adds a whole different discussion. And uh, I think like I mentioned uh, maybe last episode. So this last month I've been doing uh, Spanish lessons to re re bring back my Spanish. And uh, I'm talking to two people who lived in Venezuela, but moved out. Uh, one's in Chile and, and Peru and, uh, and one's in uh, Colombia. And, uh, you know, the experience over there is quite different that we're not aware of. And it just provides much more sp- perspective to talk to people in different countries. And as Gorge, you said, it's almost now solidarity where in the past, like the United States, we've been like, oh, those people over there who are dealing with that hard problem. And now I do feel solidarity. Like where we're like, oh, Yep. I'm glad to talk to you. I don't want them, anybody's situation to be bad, but I think it's like we were talking earlier. Okay, we're in this together. All right. A lot, a lot of these guys are America-ing better than America is America-ing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right? I that's mean, right. Hong Kong is almost a better role model of American values than America has become. And, and yeah, that's, that's bizarre. Well, um, as we begin to sort of close up here, I know you've got a uh, yeah, I got 30 a, stop time. Yep, um, I Mm-hmm. I was thinking of just showing people real quick some of the other resources that we have on the site that we want to point people toward. Um, is that cool with you, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead for it. Go for it. Yeah. So let me just pull this up here. Let's see. Okay. There's Safari. And so the first one, this is a practice that we have right here in the practice section of the website by Keith Witt. And mm. this is the one I really, really wanted to leave with because um, it's, it's a beautiful practice. It goes deep and it really does help bring a lot of this to the surface and really helps people, I think, um, internalize a lot of the stuff that you and I have been talking about, Ryan, for the last almost hour and a half. Yeah. Um, so that's called From Trauma to Transcendence with Dr. Keith Witt. And then we've got a couple shows from uh, my monthly show with Keith, which is called Wit and Wisdom. The first one has kind of a funny title, Normal Crazy Versus Extra Crazy, Disarming Your Defensive States. 
Perfect. The reason I wanted to share this is because obviously our trauma makes us fucking crazy. And, <laughs> and you know, half the times we are, we are coming from this series of defensive states uh, without even knowing it. So this discussion will help you sort of um, recognize when you're being, uh, when you're coming from a defensive state yourself and, and sort of, you know, these little perspectable shifts that you can do to, to help change your stance. Uh, the next one is also from Keith. Um, this is a conversation that he had with Jeff Salzman and another one that he had with myself, an integral understanding of suicide. Um, this was an important piece. This was a really, really important piece. And I hope that anyone who is mm. struggling um, with stuff like this will, uh, will take a look at this piece. It was a really great conversation. Um, the next one is a practice, another practice in our practice section from Ginny Whitelaw, uh, who is a, you know, Aikido master, Zen master, former NASA scientist, almost an astronaut. This woman is like Buddhist John Glenn. Um, she's <laughs> she, she's awesome. awesome. Uh, and this is called From Coping to Transforming. So this isn't necessarily about trauma per se, but it's a way for us to uh, make into object all these little subjective habituations that we have that help us cope with reality and uh, invites us to take the next step uh, from coping to actually directly engaging and transforming the reality around us. The next one is, uh, hey, look at this. This is a little yeah. conversation between some guy named Ryan Olke <laughs> uh, and Judith Blackstone called Trauma in the Unbound Body. The Connection Between Embodiment, Non-Dualization, and Healing. Uh, this was a fantastic discussion, Ryan. I'm so glad that you shared this with us. Oh, uh, yeah. If, Thanks. If, if you want to spend 10 seconds setting it up. Oh, yeah. So um, she just wrote a book recently with the same title. And it really is a lot about what we discussed today. I mean, literally, like this is super on point. The book I highly recommend. Um, in this episode, she will talk a lot about just the fundamentals of what this means to inhabit the body and practice that way. And then how that sets up the um, practice of doing healing work. And she has a particular technique, a release constriction release technique. So I highly encourage you to watch this for a really good overview. And then you can check out our book for more. And then I have meditations online as well to support that. You know, Ryan, one of the things I always love is when people I do shows with listen to the other shows that I'm doing with other people and, yeah. they, and they get excited about it. So yeah. uh, Dr. Keith Witt listened to this piece. It was his first introduction to do the Blackstone actually. And he just um, totally fell head over heels oh, that's uh, awesome. over her and her work. So that was, that was, yeah, that and was she's really a, cool. she's a, a, a PhD psychotherapist and longtime awakening teacher and practitioner too. So she's really uh, integrated those two Beautiful. in a cool way. Yep. This next one uh, features a really good friend of ours, Chris Grosso, uh, and it's called From Fucking Up to Waking Up, A Tale of Addiction, Volition, and Liberation. So this is just sort of a really inspirational story of how this one guy, this really, really good friend of mine, um, was able to you know, escape sort of his own traumas that led him to really bad problems with addiction, um, you know, almost killed himself as a result of it several times and uh, was able to get himself out of it. He was able to pull himself out of these traumas and uh, has become a world acclaimed author. Um, it's really, really beautiful, inspiring. Uh, Chris, I love you. Thank you for being an inspiration to all of us. And then two more pieces. 
the koan of chronic illness. So there is no greater source of trauma than chronic illness. And um, almost every single one of us will be affected by it, either in our own lives or in the lives of the people that we love. This is a really, really wonderful practice that she offered um, to the Integral Life audience in order to help people sort of find that inner peace and equanimity while struggling with these issues. And then as an extension about that, you've heard me talk about a few times uh, my story with my daughter. If you have any curiosity about that and you wanna know sort of some of the more details of what we went through, uh, this is a dialogue that I did with Lynn uh, in support of her chronic illness course called the Koan mm. of Chronic Illness, A Father's Story. Um, and this is, this is a video that's <laughs> a little bit hard for me to watch again. Um, mm. I, I get a little bit vulnerable in it, but it feels, it felt to me like an, an important piece, if only to be able to just sort of say, hey, here I am, here's uh, my piece, here's whatever little trickle of wisdom that I've been able to extract out of this uh, you know, horrific situation. And um, I've heard from people that it was tremendously helpful for people. So uh, I invite you to check that out yeah. as well. So those are just a few resources that we have available on integrallife.com available. Some of them are free. Others are available to supporting members. Um, if you're not a supporting member, be one. <laughs> you'll, be, uh, you'll be even more awesome in my eyes. And uh, check it out. Great. Thanks, Corey, for all that. That's awesome. And uh, they were asking in the chat about the links, but I don't know. You, maybe you can provide them now or you could include them in the post when we write them up. Yeah, I'll put them. I'll put them underneath the page when Oops. we when we do this. That was cool. that was Ryan's turning into pumpkin. Yeah, room. yeah. I gotta I gotta run. I got another thing I gotta do right now. But this has been a really wonderful conversation, and uh, so glad uh, that Raquel and Vlad uh, popped on today. Yeah. No. Seriously. Thank you so much, guys. And Ryan, thank you. This has yeah, been. Yeah. Thank you, um, man. This has been. And yeah, I tell you every month. I I, I look forward to these shows. Me and, too. Um, I never quite know what they're gonna look like before. Ah. Uh, yeah. And then we just, you know, we have a lot of fun and um, likewise, yeah, been very, very awesome and meaningful for me. So thank you. Likewise. Yeah. And thanks to all the listeners. It's been really nice to hear from you all. And, uh, and uh, it's been encouraging, inspiring for us. So I'm looking forward to next month. Yeah, man. Okay. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you.